This podcast will focus on Chapter 4, The Behavioral Approach to Leadership, from North House's text on leadership. A brief overview, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the behavioral approach, the perspective from that, we'll talk about some studies out of Ohio State and Michigan that historically kind of got us to the point where behavioral research uh, in leadership took off. We'll talk about Blake and Mouton's uh, leadership grid um, that's kind of a um, predictive uh, uh, tool, and then how does the style and approach work. So. I guess the central point uh, for all of these behavioral theories and uh, of leadership is that prior to this, you know, we had the trait theories uh, of leadership and then the skill-based theories. And um, this this uh, segment of theories kind of moves into the behavioral realm, and that is that leaders behave in certain ways, and if we could just figure out which behaviors uh, led to the best outcomes, then we would train our leaders in the proper behaviors and then we would get great, great leadership and great, uh, great production, right? Uh, of course, you know it's not that simple. But stepping back in history, that was kind of the prevailing wisdom at the time when these came along in the uh, 40s, 50s, 60s-ish. Um, so, um, and and there's two broad categories of behaviors that are going to come out of the Ohio State and Michigan studies. And since then, these have been replicated over and over again. And that is that all leadership behaviors tend to come down to one of two primary categories, either task behaviors uh, that are focused on goal achievement, and so these are things like uh, structuring the task and setting deadlines and creating processes and all the various things that leaders must do to get a, to accomplish a goal. And then there are relationship behaviors, you know, how do you keep morale up, how do you make team members feel comfortable, how do you encourage people to stay motivated, how do you engage people to feel like they're a part of the broader organization and that's that's the other um, type of behavior that leaders typically uh, exhibit and must exhibit in order to be effective so we'll talk by we'll start by talking about the Ohio State studies these this was the first set um, and basically what Ohio State, the researchers there did, is they came up with the LBDQ, which is still used today, a uh, different version, but, but same basic instrument. And this instrument asked leaders to, to rank um, you know, what behaviors they engaged in and which ones they did and which ones they didn't. And then they took all the behaviors and then they threw them into a cluster analysis and later into a factor analysis and uh, uh, parse them down into two primary factors. That's like I said where we come up with the task and behavioral uh, dimensions. And like I said, they, um, they, they, they took this in the original instrument, the LBDQ, and then they uh, pared it down into a smaller instrument, same basic idea, and it remains widely used to this day. Um, the two different types of behaviors that came back, like I said, were task and behavioral and they called the task ones initiating structure and the behavior ones they called consideration. Not to be outdone, uh, Ohio State's primary rival, both in football and otherwise, uh, Michigan. They had some uh, researchers there who followed up and did their own research in leadership behavior. And believe it or not, they came up with the same basic outcome. <clears throat> of course, they're not gonna call it the same thing because they want to act as if they invented the wheel and not Ohio State. 
but uh, but they basically came up with the same result, and that is that all behaviors broke along two dimensions, uh, and they called those employee orientation or production orientation, not task and behavior, not uh, initiating structure or consideration, but employee orientation and production orientation. But again, it's just whether you're doing behaviors focused on the task or the individual. So taking this information, Blake and Mouton came up with a, uh, a grid, which we don't have a slide of, which I think is odd, but uh, think of it as a kind of a two-by-two two grid uh, where you know one of the dimensions is uh, <coughs> task orientation and the other one is relationship orientation or consideration and initiating structure or whatever you want to call it. But there's two different uh, um, axes, the X and Y. Each one represents uh, either relationship or task. And then where the leader falls it, with respect to those two dimensions, uh, they label as different types of leadership behavior. Um, so I'm going to go through and talk about a few of these. So the first one is authority compliance, which they list as 9-1. Uh, that's where on the grid it would fall. But basically authority compliance is the idea that you're high on task and extremely low on uh, relationship. So... Um, jump forward here. So like I said, authority compliance, you've got a heavy emphasis on task and a relatively low emphasis on uh, individuals. You end up with a results-driven leadership behavior. People are basically just regarded as tools. Uh, they're seen as, as machine parts. If one doesn't work, pull them out and replace them with somebody else. So these nine comma one uh, authority compliance leaders are seen as controlling, demanding, hard driving, and overpowering. The next one they talk about is the country club behavioral style. This one is the opposite. So instead of 9-1, this is 1-9. So you've got an overabundance of relationship uh, behavior going on and very little task behavior. Uh, these folks tend to result in an environment that is comfortable, friendly, organizational atmosphere, work tempo, but sometimes uh, lazy and unproductive at times because there's a low concern for task accomplishment coupled with a high concern for uh, behavioral uh, needs, interpersonal needs. They de-emphasize production. These leaders uh, try to create a climate uh, that's agreeable and non-controversial. 1-1 uh, would be impoverished leadership. This is basically where there is no leadership going on whatsoever. There's low concern for others. There's also low concern for task. This is obviously uh, a bad situation, similar to, we'll talk about later, uh, laissez-faire leadership uh, when we talk about um, transformational leadership, you know, this, is, this is not where you want to be. This is basically a, a, a dearth of leadership altogether. Middle of the road, they uh, Blake and Mouton, again, uh, were not in, in favor of. They considered this a compromise leadership style where, you know, you don't want to offend anyone, so you're at times uh, overly uh, relationship-oriented, but at the same time, you know, you're trying to get things done. So, uh, you know, you're basically splitting the difference and trying to do some of both, but doing neither one very effectively. And so you end up with what they call middle of the road, which is better than impoverished, um, but not as good as da -da -da, team uh, orientation or team behavior. Um, this spot on the grid is 9-9. It's a strong emphasis of both task and relationship. Um, and not surprisingly, Blake and Mouton said this is the ideal um, setting uh, where you stimulate participation, you act, acts determined, um, makes priorities clear to others, 
follows through, behaves, is open-minded, enjoys working, promotes a high degree of participation in teamwork, uh, the ideal leader, if you want to think about it that way. Some of the uh, problems that originate, or, or let me rephrase that, there are some problems that originate in leadership because of uh, the use of, the misuse of a behavioral or a task orientation. And so Blake and Mouton tried to describe some of these. They talked about one called paternalism or maternalism. Um, so these are leaders who tend to use both the country club and the authoritarian styles, uh, but never really integrate the two. And so you end up with this kind of benevolent dictator approach where uh, the leader is the ultimate authority, does not really want your feedback, is, uh, you know, makes all the decisions himself or herself, uh, but also regards the organization as family. And as long as you're loyal to them, as long as you kiss the boots and kiss the ring and do what you're asked to do, uh, you're rewarded. Um, so it's kind of this, uh, you are rewarding people and you do have high expectations, but the high expectations are not really around, um, you know, coming up with new ideas in production, more uh, just around loyalty and being, being a, a yes man, if you will. Another one that is sometimes seen as opportunism, and this one is sometimes seen by people as being ruthless and cunning or a negative, but it can also be seen as really adaptive and strategic, and that is you know, choosing the style that, that fits best, right? Choosing the, the, the behavioral approach that works best for any given situation or group. Uh, and I actually think this, is, this makes a lot more sense than the 9-9 team orientation where Blake and Mouton originally said that would be the ideal for a leader. Really what's more ideal is to be um, strategic and choose the style that fits the situation and your audience the best. So the leader uses any combination of the basic five styles uh, depending on, um, you know, for personal advancement. Now, obviously if you're doing it for personal advancement and not for the good of the company or anything like that, then that's a negative. But I think, you know, you certainly can use the different styles uh, not only to benefit yourself as a leader, but to benefit your organization as a whole. In that instance, it's not really a negative. It would be a positive. Um, you know, one thing to keep in mind, and, and this is not just in leadership, but this is in any area of personality. Um, you know, people have preferences. They have, they have styles that suit them best. They have things you're best at. You know, think about yourself and the strengths you have, the things you do well, the environments in which you excel. What you tend to find is when you're under high stress, you go to those things you're good at, right? We revert to the things we're comfortable with, the things that we feel good about, the things we believe we'll be successful with. So you may train someone to use all five styles, but under stress, don't be surprised if they revert to the style that they are most comfortable with. And that, that's not uncommon at all. Generally speaking, the, uh, the behavioral approach, it focuses on a framework for assessing leadership from a behavioral standpoint with both, like I said, the task and relationship dimensions highlighted. Um, it offers a general means of assessing the behaviors of leaders. You know, the strength that this, that this approach has is it really kind of brings behavior to the forefront. Prior to this, people weren't really paying attention to behavior. They were looking for traits or skills as opposed to the behaviors of leaders. Um, you know, and that brought that into context. It also, again, kind of broke behaviors down into task and relationship, which to this day, if you do a study of leadership behaviors and you were to do a factor analysis, you would find that the behaviors tend to fall along these lines. So that was pretty groundbreaking at the time and is still useful uh, today. 
you know, unfortunately, if you're going to criticize this um, this approach, um, the research has not really ever uh, provided the support or demonstrated that that these behavioral approaches are predictive of performance outcomes very well. Um, again, like I said, Blake and Mouton said, you know, the 9-9 team orientation would be the most, the one leaders would want for the highest performing units. And that's never proven to be the case. In fact, you know, it really depends on so many factors as to which behavior is best that uh, that's probably why you're not able to find these performance uh, predictions like they would like.